invite you to turn to the Apostle Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Today it holds significant meaning to us for so many reasons. Um, first and foremost, it's the Lord's Day. It's, uh, it's the day that many, perhaps most followers of Jesus recognize as the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is especially meaningful because by setting aside one day, this day, this one day of the week, holy, entirely to God, we express, we're expressing to God that our lives are not our own, we belong to another, we're subjects of God and his kingship over us, we belong to the one who left his father's throne and came and sought us and claimed us and purchased us at the price of his own blood, and therefore there's, there's just no other day like the Lord's day. Today is also meaningful because, of course, it's Father's Day, and uh, we, we understand Father's Day. It's, you know, it's a cultural construct, but it's a good cultural construct. Um, God communicates himself to us as a father, a good father, and he commands us to express honor and respect and gratitude and subject ourselves to those who have fathered us, and in that sense, today, is a, it's a good day. There's a third reason that today's meaningful, meaningful to the people of Emmaus Road Church of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, because today we will recognize the ordination of Lauren Van Housen as a pastor and a minister of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a gift for which we must pause and thank Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says explicitly that Jesus, after his resurrection and upon his ascension far above all the heavens, he gave shepherds and teachers to each local expression of his church. Jesus is the one who gives pastors overseers, elders, to churches, to equip the saints for the work of his ministry, namely the building up and strengthening of his body until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and maturity in Christ. So in light of this Lord's Day, in light of this Father's Day, and in light of this Ordination Day, I'm going to draw your attention to God's word in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. There's a message here for all of us. So I want to invite you to stand if you're able. Please follow along as I read God's holy and authoritative word. Paul addresses his protege, his apprentice, Pastor Timothy, with these words. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, so, so many things for which to be thankful for today thankful that we have a Father in heaven, wise, good, 
loving. You just do everything right. We're thankful for a great Savior who bore the punishment that our sins deserved and uh, makes us clean and is the means by which we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that makes it all experientially real for us. Thank you for the church. What a marvelous thing it is to see your expression of your presence, your body here on earth be enlarged. Thank you, God, for the worship of your people. Thank you for the way that you build families and you do so in a particular way through fathers. We're thankful for them. And thank you, God, for the gifts that you give to build your church. Elders, pastors, overseers. And uh, for all of these things, we marvel. We just pause and give you thanks. Praising you, Lord. Praising you. Praising you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Even though Paul's instruction in 1 Timothy 4.16 is directed to a specific individual, he namely the pastor of a local church, this instruction is delivered via a letter to all the people of, that make up that particular local church. And so there is a word of exhortation in this text, has implications for every member of every church at all times and in all places. God is addressing every follower of Jesus. And it is a word of exhortation for every father. And it is a word of exhortation for every elder shepherd that serves every church. But in particular today, I think this is a word for you, Lauren Van Housen. And this exhortation is then twofold. Watch your heart and watch your flock. Watch your heart and watch your flock. Keep watch over your heart. Persist in that. Keep watch over your flock. And we're going to look at both of these first what it means to keep watch over our hearts. This is a matter of utmost importance for every follower of Jesus. The eminent Puritan pastor Richard Baxter summarized the essence of true Christianity as, as being both heart work and heaven work. Heart work and heaven work. For Baxter, heaven work was the practice of daily motivational meditation on the prospect of finally being with Christ in heaven. That's what we did just a few moments ago as we sang that last verse of It Is Well With My Soul. That's what, that's what heaven work means. We're contemplating a future, an eternal future with Christ in heaven. It means pondering. It means contemplating one's ultimate end of being with and walking with and communing with our Savior for eternity in heaven. It was and is a fundamental aspect of normal Christian living. That's what heaven work is. But heart work, on the other hand, was the thought and repeated self-search that were constantly needed to sustain the most impassioned, sincere, persevering, love and devotion to Jesus, as well as the most resolute 
resistance to the many kinds of hostilities and discouragements that a Christian must face, preeminently the discouragement and hostility of remaining sin. So to put it in most simply, the aim of keeping watch over the heart means maintaining sweet communion with God as well as keeping vigilant watch against sinning. We see this summarized in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. It's a a relevant exhortation, not only for pastors or for fathers, but for every child of God. This, This is what every Christian does, is keep watch over our hearts. John Flavel, another Puritan, writes, The keeping and right managing of the heart in every condition is the one great business of the Christian life. And and this heart keeping, it presupposes a a prior work, right? It, it, It presupposes the work of regeneration. Our hearts being made new by God, which sets one's heart aright. It gives us a new spiritual inclination. Unless one's heart is set right, unless one's heart is made new to be set right by the renewing grace of God, there is no human means possible that can keep it right with God. Self is the Lord of the unregenerate heart. Purpose, self-purpose of the unrenewed heart is, is subject to self. Self is what biases. Self is what directs. Self is what steers and guides every aim, every action of an unconverted soul. And that's why Flavel writes further, the first cause of an unrenewed heart is self-reliance. The chief good of an unrenewed heart is self-love. The highest Lord of unrenewed of an unrenewed heart is self-will. And the ultimate goal of an unrenewed heart is self-seeking. And that means that is, as long as one's heart remains unrenewed, unregenerate, it is impossible for flesh and blood alone to keep it with God. And that's why J.I. Packer rightly summarizes it. Heart-keeping is nothing less than the constant care and diligence of a renewed individual to preserve his or her soul in that holy frame to which God's grace has raised it. It's God's grace that raises a dead heart and soul, makes it new. So heart work is hard work, but it, and it involves keeping unhurried time in fellowship with God. Loved ones, the, the aim of one's private devotional life is not merely to read. The aim is communion. The aim is conversation. The aim is attention. The aim is interaction, being fully present 
with God in and through the person of Jesus. This is where each day begins, and this is not something that one can do quickly. And so again, that means, what that means, that's, that's hard work is hard work. I'm going to refer to Flavel, I think, just one more time. <laughs> to shuffle over religious duties with a loose and heedless spirit will cost not great pains. But to set oneself before the Lord... And to tie up your loose and vain thoughts to a constant and serious attendance upon him, this will cost you something. Heart keeping is challenging. Heart keeping also requires keeping the eyes of your heart then fixed on Christ. Because apart from Christ and the grace of Christ, this, is, this work is not possible. Unless we are personally affected, privately affected, constantly affected by all that Jesus has done and all that Jesus has accomplished for our eternal well-being, how will we as good neighbors or good fathers or good pastors convey those same things to those whom we love? Keeping our own hearts affected by the glorious man Jesus is utterly necessary before we will pass on that same affection and devotion to our sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, grandchildren. Whether you're a shepherd over your own household, whether you are a shepherd over the household of God, whether you're a shepherd over your own soul, Maintaining a tender heart toward Christ and his sacrifice for sinners keeps us from drifting. Drifting into formalism, drifting into moralism. For pastors, it restrains us from drifting into professionalism. For dads, dads, listen, our, our kids, no matter their age, they perceive our moods. They perceive what affects us. They see what makes us excited. They're watching you. They're watching what you do. They're watching what affects you and what stirs you. They're watching what gives you the what you give the best of yourself to. And there's nothing greater in this life or the next than giving yourself wholeheartedly to that glorious man, Jesus Christ. So watch your heart so that you are affected, freshly affected. By the songs we sing and, and the truths that we hear proclaimed, I, I'm just profoundly aware that if people see that I'm not affected by the glories of Calvary, that unaffectedness will affect them. Consider the admonition of Charles Spurgeon who said, take longer times to fellowship with Jesus so that you are more deeply affected by the cries that issued from the cross of Calvary. You're not going to hear those cries. You're not going to be affected by those cries unless you linger there. And there's nothing of greater value on this earth than the condition of your heart. So, again, according to Proverbs 4.23, from 
it flows the springs of life. There's just no single action that will more directly affect the outcome and quality of your life than guarding your heart. And there is no more powerful predictor of your ultimate end than what you expose your heart to. And so above all else, keep watch over your heart. Second, watch your flock. So whether you're a father or an elder, you have a flock. As fathers, our families are our flock. As missional community leaders, your missional community is your flock. As discipleship huddle facilitators, your fellow huddlers are your flock. As elders, pastors, the members of this church are our flock. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Luke records the admonition of the Apostle Paul to the elders of the church in Ephesus. He writes, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The word flock, it it goes without saying, right? It, It is an agricultural term. We don't use that or anything else, well, I suppose for geese and ducks and whatnot, but, but it has to do mainly with the care and husbandry of sheep. Sheep are the flock. The metaphor for the people who make up the membership of this local church is sheep. The metaphor for people who make up the membership of this local f- church is a flock. And therefore, the metaphor by which we understand the work of a pastor, elder, is shepherd. Pastoral work. Elder work is shepherd-like work. And even though the local church requires organization and coordination and communication and administration, shepherds are fundamentally, first and foremost, not business executives. They're not managers. They're not running a corporation. The primary metaphor that defines our primary work is the word and the work of a shepherd. And a good shepherd who skillfully keeps watch over the flock of God is a shepherd after God's own heart. That means it's not just the elder pastor's heart that matters. We watch our own hearts, but there's another heart that's even more important. And that's God's heart. It's God's heart for his flock that matters most. And therefore a good shepherd, a qualified shepherd, a called shepherd is one who sees what the owner of the flock sees and does what the owner of the flock does. In other words, a good shepherd is a follower before he's a leader. He's a leader because he's a good follower. And the shepherds in the Bible whom God judged and disciplined are those shepherds who forgot that the people in their care are not their own. Jeremiah 3.15, God says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Therefore, a shepherd, whether it's of his household or God's household, He needs God's heart. 
and a sharp and attentive godly mind. The challenges of keeping watch over our families and even more so God's church requires deep reservoirs of discernment and wisdom. And that discernment is only enlarged and clarified through the understanding of sound doctrines. So that's why Paul says keep watch over your teaching. And there's no other place to gain that discernment and wisdom and soundness than through deep abiding communion with God in Christ and His Word. So, here's here's how the process has worked for us here at Emmaus Road Church. When someone begins to engage with us, new members, well, before they even become members... (laughs) When someone begins to engage with us on a regular basis, we as the elders, shepherds, pastors, overseers, that's all one the same thing, we, we watch. And we, we don't intend that to be some like creepy thing, like, you know, weird. And It means that we watch in a Hebrews 13, 17 kind of a way which says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. We understand that we are, <laughs> one day we're going to have to give an account for every one of you that's a member of this church. We'll stand before the Lord. It, it's motivating <laughs> about how we watch. And we aim to watch you then in a discerning and caring way. We want to watch over your souls. Our, our aim is to watch your disposition. Our aim is to watch for your character. Or our aim is to watch about and see where you're at spiritually. We want to see who's attentive to the voice of the good shepherd. And we watch for those who are responsive to our particular doctrinal and philosophical definitions and boundaries. We want to know who, who, who's committed to this flock. Because we're not accountable for every sheep in this city. We watch for who buys in. Then we watch for who joins. We watch for who's faithful. We watch for those who are reliable. We watch for those whom we can trust. Trust is the only currency there is in a volunteer organization. And your trust in your shepherds is as essential as our trust in you is essential. It's mutual. That's why we keep watch over our hearts. For the fathers here today, we also watch to see how you're shepherding your own households. Are your families in order? Your households in order? Are your wife, if you're married, your kids, if you have kids, are they respectful and happy? Are you keeping watch over your flock? And after a while, those whose households seem to be in order and they seem to have margin and they seem to have responded well to what we're about, namely our, our gospel-centeredness and our shaping virtues and our shared values, we try to find ways to deploy your well-ordered life and influence in our organizational structure. And, and if and when we see that maturity and discernment and wisdom and joy, gratitude humility, generosity, servanthood, godliness, care. We invite, we invite those proven, tested people like you 
into categories of service. And, and, and the main one that, that really is most significant is the service of our little flocks, namely our missional communities. And we watch some more. And if and when we see men who seem to aspire and desire to faithfully look after the flock of God, and there's, there's biblical and theological acumen and interest and discernment, then we invite those guys to consider taking on even more responsibility, namely pastoral leadership, eldership, oversight of the flock of God. And when men accept that invitation, then we watch them some more. We watch to see if the Holy Spirit may be giving them to, the, to Emmaus Road to serve as overseers and elders and pastors. Not everybody, but some. Shepherds who are gifted and called and qualified to first and foremost feed the sheep. For the past few years, around five years, I think, we've been watching Lauren Van Housen. And Lauren, insofar as we've been able to discern, is after five years of watching such a shepherd. He has nourished a healthy spiritual missional community. He's taught our foundations class. He's preached at least two times with clarity, with care. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So feeding the flock is a significant aspect of what it means to be one who watches the flock. And we've watched and we've watched... <laughs> we watched a long time now, and we've seen Lauren effectively shepherd his wife and his family, and, and together with Tammy, their missional community. Second, called and qualified shepherds lead the sheep. Week in and week out, we've watched Lauren assert the kind of wise and skillful, mature, courageous oversight that, that contributes to a, a healthy spiritual community. That's significant because 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2 says, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That's leadership. So together, Lauren and Tammy exercise oversight of the flock entrusted to them. Third, cold and qualified shepherds care for the sheep. Elders who serve the flock of God do so by helping people apply the gospel to their lives. Helping the sheep of their flock connect to the promises, connect the promises and works of God to the challenges that they face. And they help them see their circumstances, both the pains, problems, and, and joys and celebrations in light of the greatness and goodness of God. That's significant because Acts chapter 20 verse 28 says, pay careful attention to all the flock, care for the church of God. And again, we've watched as Lauren has provided practical and spiritual care to people under his watch, people in spiritual danger, people battling besetting sin, people longing to find their way forward in God's will, fighting for faith. Fourth, called and qualified shepherds protect the sheep. It's the elder's role to protect the church from errors. Errors of cultural worldview, errors of worldliness and deception, dangers of God's wrath against such sins. 
Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 31 says, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Watch. You know, I, over the years, I, uh, I, I've just found it more typical a generalization, I realize, but more typical for younger guys to get all jacked up and energized when it comes to, you know, theology and, you know, entering the doctrinal phrase and they read and take all the stuff super serious and it, it, it's less common. It's rather uncommon for a man in his 50s, particularly one who's invested the majority of his vocational life to an entirely different focus, to do what Lauren has done in the last three years. Namely, not including the Bible, he's read at least 2,000 pages of systematic and biblical theology, passed two rather challenging, one nearly stupid Bible knowledge exam that's you know, just hard for anybody to pass. He's, he's passed a rigorous written theology exam. He's written six practical theological position papers on topics including divorce and remarriage, biblical manhood and womanhood, doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and others. He has passed a comprehensive oral exam before an ordination committee of the Midwest-Northwest region of Sovereign Grace Churches. He has invested time and his own resources in order to know and understand well our denominational distinctives. His demonstration of perseverance and hard work in that alone is nothing short of remarkable. All that and more highlight a fifth trait of cold and qualified shepherds. That is, they're an example. They're an example for the sheep to follow. They're a living picture of faithfulness and stability and reliability and resilience. You have a setback, you have a chapter in your life, a season that's going really rotten. And they get back up. I, have, I still have a letter on my desk that Lauren wrote to me like about three years ago explaining why he, he just didn't think he could keep doing this. It was, it was really some introspective things about his own state of heart and soul and he was, he was going to pull the plug and I just said, you know, what I've seen through the years is that, you know, you just, just stay, stay with it because people go through high points and low points in their life. There's high chapters, low chapters, great chapters, struggling chapters. It's not low chapters that are the qualifier or the disqualifier. It's the resilience. It's that kind of winsome and attractive example that others want to emulate. 1 Peter 5.3 says, shepherd the flock, being examples to the flock. So Lauren and Tammy, we've watched you both set an example in multiple ways. Hopeful, approachable, generous-hearted, winsome hope in God that we all wish to emulate. And we hold you in high regard and on behalf of our eldership and this flock, we are thankful 
and, and we respectfully and gratefully receive you as a gift from God to provide pastoral oversight to Emmaus Road Church. Your flock, the flock God has entrusted to you, has been enlarged. Lauren, today you're joining Ryan and Logan, myself as overseers who have been entrusted by God with the task of keeping watch of giving an account for the souls who make up the membership of the Mass Road Church. And you're also joining us as overseers who have been entrusted by God with the task of keeping watch over one another, as well as the rest of the elders who serve the churches of the Midwest, Northwest region of Sovereign Grace Churches. That's a big deal. But we thank God for you. I just one more charge for you, and, and really for all of you. And it comes not specifically from Scripture, but from someone who I believe understands the weight and wonder of shepherding the flock of God. Listen to these words. It seems strange and awesome that such auspicious tasks like knowing, feeding, caring, and protecting being an example, and so on and so forth. It seems strange and awesome that such auspicious tasks are committed to ordinary human beings with a short lifespan, with limited knowledge of the cosmos, and with the same temptations to pride and twisted desire to which everyone else is subject. <laughs> human beings, not angels, are the ones called to ministry. Not all, only some. The church fathers marveled at this fact. And so should we. I've been a pastor for almost 38 years. And hardly a day goes by when I just don't scratch my aging head and say, how did I get here? I've been saved from God's wrath by His Son who suffered the punishment that I deserve. It is a mystery of mysteries. That, that's a mystery all by itself. But that God called me to shepherd His flock. He called me what on earth am I doing here? Why would he do that? Why would he call me? I can see why he would call Ryan and Logan. <laughs> but why me? And why us? Why would the chief shepherd entrust some of those for whom he shed his blood and died to me, to us, to keep watch over? It is something for which we should all marvel. And that the chief shepherd has called you, Lauren, and me, and Ryan, and Logan, to this temporary task. There will be days and seasons when discouragement and disillusionment and disappointments will inevitably set in. But as one wise shepherd from long, long ago once wrote, 
since God is contented with himself alone, if you're, in, if you're content with him, you'll be content with him alone. So, my loved ones, fathers and sons and daughters and Lauren and Tammy, God just buries us every single day under an avalanche of blessings that we simply do not deserve. We just need to keep a list and marvel and give thanks and keep watch. Watch your hearts, watch your flock, and let's pray. Lord Jesus, you, you laid down your life, purchased with your own blood, some from every tongue, every language group, every tribe, every nation, every people. And then you gave some to be Shepherds, pastors, teachers, overseers over them. This, this is something that we will never fully feel the, the greatness of until the last day, I'm sure. But until then, we ask for your spirit. Ask you, Holy Spirit, to be moving. Make these things be so real to us, such a great gift. It would be marvelous in our eyes because you've opened our eyes to see it to, as such. And I pray, oh God, here for every, for every man and woman and child, Lord, that uh, in this gathering, God, would you empower them and incline them to so keep watch over, over their own hearts and souls to shepherd their own hearts and souls, to nourish and care for and protect, just looking after well their own spiritual well-being. Pray for the fathers today that you would, you would take them to a, a stronger place in looking after their own households, their wives and their children, shepherding the flock that you've entrusted to them. And God, for those who are still on that journey to oversight of the, in, the, in the life of your church, we pray for your blessing on them. There are more elders to be called here. I believe it. And there are more elders to be sent out from here. We believe it trusted. And for Lauren and Tammy, we ask that your hand would be upon them, preserving, filling, sustaining, strengthening, guiding every single day. So we look to you, Lord, for these, the fulfillment of all these graces which you have so graciously promised to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.